Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Okay. We are on our last trip call for Shadows and Light. And today I want to talk a little bit about I, I do want to talk a little bit about voodoo, and particularly Arishas. I want to talk a little bit about how Arishas sort of relate to the similarities and differences between what we would consider a traditional spirit guide. And then I want to open it up for general Q&A. Um, did you guys read the material that I sent out about voodoo? Yeah, mm-hmm. fascinating. Actually, I, I, think didn't, it, it, I didn't get it. You didn't get misgetting, it. Uh, yeah, Cynthia's misgetting the last couple of emails that went out um, of the material. Let me, well, give me a favor. Send me an email so I don't forget, and I'll do okay. some research, figure out why. Um, I mean, I think to the degree that saying, you know, owning up to your witchiness is difficult, probably owning up to owning up to any kind of interest or participation in voodoo is probably 10 times more difficult. The the stereotypical stigmas around that particular, and this is one I would consider a religion. I mean, it is the primary religion of several South American or Central American and, and African countries. Um, or some form of it. I mean, it could be voodoo, hoodoo, santeria. There's a handful of them. It It is viewed as particularly dark in most Western cultures. And I touched on some of the reasons in the material that I think it's viewed as dark. Viewed on dark as dark. And one of them is because of the nature of secrecy around some of these traditions. Um, I mean, if you get online and you look for a witch doctor, what you're probably going to get is a voodoo practitioner. Um, if you're looking for somebody to cast some sort of a revenge spell or some sort, you're probably going to get a voodoo practitioner. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, there's a lot of sort of currency in kind of the dark arts here. I mean, voodoo people are more than willing to sell their services. In fact, a lot of voodoo practitioners, not a lot, but many make their living that way. That's how they make their primary income. So you see it kind of around the edges because you can find this stuff for sale in a lot of places, but it is very, very secretive in terms of the actual practice of of the rituals and the rites. So I think that leads to a certain amount of kind of fear, sort of that secrecy. Voodoo is very feminine heavy, but it's not feminine, it's not, it's not exclusive to women where a lot of the magical arts are very specifically the territory of the feminine, voodoo actually has both a male, a masculine, and a feminine element. And I, I kind of like that. Like, I love the really, really strong femininity, but I kind of also like 
there's a, there's more balance there, and the role that the masculine energy plays in this particular sort of way of being or this religion is very much a supporting role to the feminine. I mean, there may be a voodoo priest, but he's always going to be in support of a priestess, and chances are very high that his Orisha is probably going to be female. So although there's a balance, it's still very female-dominated or femininity-dominated. Um, and I also think that there is, you know, this sort of stereotypical, very frightening kind of media and movie-driven um, visual of the voodoo practitioner with, you know, voodoo dolls and revenge spells and, you know, sacrifices and all of that. When I think that in reality, those traditions and those practices are actually very different than that. They're very, very beautiful. I mean, voodoo particularly has a lot of crossover with Catholicism. Um, So when I walk into a Catholic church and I am... I, I'm, you know, looking at mass, that looks to me very much like what I have experienced voodoo traditions to look like because there's so much crossover. So, I mean, there's an element of beauty and grace and sort of, I don't know, there's an art, artsiness, an artisticness about voodoo that is unique to that culture and that practice. Um, but like I said, the thing that fascinates me most is that the relationship in voodoo is very different when it comes to the Orisha or the one that came before. And so I want to talk a little bit about that in that an Orisha is different than a spirit guide in terms of a spirit guide as we traditionally know them will come in and out or be ever-present, but their primary function is to provide guidance or wisdom. I mean, it's sort of a... It's a bit of a kind of universal librarian sort of role. Um, As opposed to an Orisha, which is much more likely, in fact, the purpose of an Orisha is to lend their energy to the work. So an Orisha is going to be much more hands-on than a spirit guide. An Orisha is going to be, it's literally an energy amplifier versus just an information provider. Does that make sense? I'm going to go around the room and I'm going to let you guys ask questions about Arisha um, just so I can get some clarity on where we want to get more clarity. Anne, do you have thoughts on the difference between a spirit guide and an Arisha? Yeah, that that sort of made it very clear. And what I kept getting the image of when you were talking about it was the relationship between, say, the old sorcerers in the oral cultures who would work with their apprentice in order to teach them the rituals which were absolutely necessary in being able to pass on that skill set. And it sounds like that that's the kind of relationship between the earthly apprentice and the Orisha, um, who is still teaching their apprentice how to perform the ritual, if that makes sense. It does. And I think what's interesting about that is they they would see no difference between the earthly master and the non-earthly master because it's all the same. Um, mm. And it's it's fairly common, actually, for a teacher or a carrier of tradition. I mean, teacher is kind of a wide 
the very broad word, but the carrier of the tradition to pass on and become a Risha to many of that teacher's students. Um, so they will actually look at the passing as a good thing and look forward to it because they're going to get to participate or engage with their teacher in a, in a more intimate way than when the teacher was in physical form. Um, so, Which is yeah. interesting because you can almost see why it's so important to keep these teachings secret in that mm-hmm. sense because there is that essence which will not carry over into another culture in the same way as it is for those who practice the, the, the true voodoo or, or however you want to refer to it, that there is something almost culturally bound to that which it would lose completely in any kind of interpretation by a different culture. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Jackie, what are your thoughts? I was very clear to, uh, I was glad to get the, the clarity between the um, really what voodoo is. I mean, seriously, all I know about voodoo is from movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although my mother, um, my mother was very uh, adamant that it was a witch doctress of sorts there in Nigeria that saved me from a bout of malaria when I was three and a half months old. Um, huh? Yeah, she was my nurse, my, my nanny, and um, I got really, really ill, and she basically went up to my mother and said, this child will die unless you give her to me for a couple of hours. And my mother did because she there was nothing that she could do anymore, and uh, she did what she did, and wrapped me up in banana leaves and planted me in the ground for two hours. <laughs> wow. And yeah, and my malaria broke that night and I was fine. Um so and and that whether that I, I know that um, the North African religions are not mm-hmm. necessarily voodoo, but they have the same kind they're very, of they're similar. They're, yeah. yeah, there's the same root. And um so that was that was the only thing, and then of course, what was really interesting was when I saw *Live and Let Die*, the James Bond movie that has the voodoo in it, with Jane mm-hmm. Seymour. Um, that spurred a huge reading thing for me. But I was at a convent at the time, and all my books got confiscated, and I was not allowed to read anything that gave me any kind of information. I could see the section in the in the encyclopedia, right? But I was never allowed to. Uh, the books that I had that I got from the library, I um, I was told to take back, not by my mother, but by the teachers by the nuns. So it was it's really interesting that this has come full circle now as I start to explore my own magical ability that this particular North African route, which is where I was born, um, is coming back into my awareness. I'm I'm kind of fascinated by it all. A full circle moment. Yeah. Mm. I like that a lot. Um I know that well, I'll get into that in a little bit. Janet, what are your thoughts? Um, this is really interesting for me because I have had so little exposure to anything other than the popular culture version or the Christian version. I don't know which is worse. Um, so I'm really, really interested to, to explore this, and um, which makes me kind of sad that I'm not going to be able to stay on the call. I just want to make sure I said hello to everyone. Um, <clears throat> but I, um, I'm also aware that... Um, I have a strong sense of, okay, 
but background this a little. Um, living in Australia as I do, I'm very conscious of um, the uh, indigenous culture, the, the culture of the indigenous peoples of Australia and the fact that there's a kind of curiosity from people overseas who feel mm-hmm. connected some way to the indigenous um, dream time, uh, you know, the spiritual traditions. And there's a sort of tendency sometimes to kind of appropriate it without really understanding it. Um, I even see my non-Indigenous Australian people doing that as well and it and it obviously doesn't sit particularly well with Indigenous Australians to kind of have white people coming in and just taking over their <clears throat> culture without really understanding it. So uh, not that I'm suggesting that what we're doing here is anything like that, but I'm, it makes me very conscious of one's own lineage and I'm very aware that my lineage is purely Celtic from everything I've been able to discover in terms of my physiological ancestry. I'm very connected into the Celtic um, kinds of mythologies and cultures and spiritual traditions. And I know, for example, that my mother's um, side of the family was um, from Lancashire, which is, there were witches who were burned in the 1700s. And so I feel a really strong connection to that. When it comes to something from Africa and a countries, countries with which I don't have a particularly strong personal physiological connection, I'm intensely curious and I'm also at the same time kind of going, unless I feel particularly drawn to this, it would, be, it would feel wrong for me to kind of pursue it further. So I'm going to be interested to see how this unfolds for me, to see what my own internal journey with this is like and whether whether I do feel a, a, an internal connection or whether it becomes something where I, I kind of, because I totally get that Jackie has a connection, um, you know, with, with being born in Africa, uh, even though her genealogy isn't African, there's a, there's a powerful connection there, a connection of place. So, so I'm, I'm coming to this with a very open mind and no expectations whatsoever. I won't feel miffed if I don't find that I have an Orisha. <laughs> well, and I, we'll get to that in a second. Um, you know, Sarah just emailed me and said, let's not forget the primary reason that, you know, voodoo is vilified to some degree, which is, is the issue of race. I mean, most, yeah. like you just spoke to it, there it's it's a black cultural experience. I mean, and I wonder to some degree if my deep connection to this, and it, it's the primary, I think it's the primary excuse for sort of cultural appropriation or misappropriation, but I feel so drawn to it. I'm sure that at some point in some life I had some connection here, but I couldn't draw a straight line. I mean, I, I have no way of putting myself there. Um but the issue of race and color and, you know, the, the geographical connections to all of these things, I think that it's interesting because when it comes to Native American spirituality, which I do have blood ties to, I mean, my mother is Apache, I get very nitpicky about white people taking parts and leaving mm-hmm. other parts behind. I, I feel sort of protective of that cultural spirituality. So I totally get what you're saying. Totally get that. Um, so, okay, Nikki, how about you? Any thoughts, questions? Anything you know, for you? Yeah, I find this really, really interesting because, you know, I used to live in Louisiana 
and my father's side of the family's from there, you know, and I'm half black as well, but I'm not really like close to my family on that side, paternal side of the family. And this is something like when I used to live in Louisiana, and Louisiana is just an interesting state altogether because it has some of that. It's so conservative, and it's, like, really heavily Catholic. And so it seemed like at the time it was pretty much on the DL. So I'm really, you know, open and excited to, I guess, explore this side because, you know, I know a lot of African-American folks, and they have some healing, and they have some other, you know, knowings and all that kind of stuff that they have within the culture. So I just think that this is really cool since I have, like, a direct tie to that. I mean, voodoo in Louisiana, and I would go so far as to even say Georgia, some of those southern states, but particularly with Louisiana, that it's so culturally embedded. And the ties to Catholicism are, I mean, to some degree, the way we define voodoo from Santeria is that voodoo does have Catholicism weaved in and out. I mean, there are a lot of stories about Marie Laveau's tie to the Catholic Church in mm-hmm. that one of her best friends was a, was a Catholic priest, and he allowed her to practice in the, in the church. Mm-hmm. So she would walk into the Catholic Church to perform her rites and rituals with his blessing mm-hmm. because there was so much crossover. Um, mm-hmm. It's... And it's one of those things, like, you, it's hard to see your own programming, but when you look at New Orleans, particularly in Louisiana, the bayou at large, it's so culturally embedded that people hardly even realize they're practicing because mm-hmm. the traditions are so, are just so deeply rooted. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's in there, in your heritage for sure, if mm-hmm. that's where you're from. Um, California, are you muted? I'm not sure who California is. It may be Sarah. Yeah, I was muted. Hi. Is it Sarah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi. Sorry. Hey, hi. hi. Okay, good. Thoughts or questions before we move on to the topic of the Orisha and how to get yours? Um, I joined the call a little bit late, so is it any, is it just any Thoughts or questions? Um, any thoughts or questions on on voodoo and any you know anything that comes up for you around that topic? Um, well, I just you know I you got my email about that idea of like it being basically racism, and I think you know it gets shown in the media in this way of like you know bleeding chickens from the neck, and like that's like that's what voodoo is or something like. Um, right. I think it's I think it's it's intentionally discredited, um, and I know that in the past when I was exploring more witchy stuff, um, I also have like direct lines to a more Celtic um, you know ancestry, and I just felt like I could do that without apology, you know, like I could get in touch with that and not feel like I had to explain myself or justify myself to anybody. Whereas if I was interested in voodoo or Santeria, which I have been, you know, I've been kind of fascinated by it, but I never felt like I had the right. So there's something very freeing, you know, of of you talking about it and introducing it today. and, and, um, And I'm grateful for that because there has been curiosity in me and I don't feel like I've felt free to explore it. I have friends who are culturally associated in practice. So, I mean, born and raised black women 
um, I have friends who are born and raised black women who practice um, that I only know because, you know, I've, I've used them as resources for this kind of practice. Um, I've been, I mean, I've, I've been in circles and at rites, I mean, at events. And I've never felt like the outsider because, I mean, it's, it's not, they're very welcoming and opening to some degree. I, I've never experienced it feeling like somebody's not welcome because they're white or they don't have that lineage. It's just that somebody's not welcome who they're suspicious of because they don't know that person and trust them. So it's much more, I, I think it's much more wide open to explore from their perspective than we might think. Oh, yeah, just, and I don't it's, mean it's to... It's very much a matter of trust. And I don't mean to imply that it was ever confirmed or that anyone ever seemed unwelcoming, you know, that I never was shut down by it. It was more of an internal sense. And right, I get that. Sort of, you know, people that were in my circle who were like, well, you know, I think you probably have ties to more Celtic stuff. Maybe you should explore that. And, you know, it just being... And it wasn't... So I just never even explored it. Right. Okay, I get that. I really that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk really quickly about um, contacting or working with an Orisha. And I mean, Janet spoke to it before she hung up. That she, if she doesn't have one, she's going to be irritated. Um, I and I can't say that everybody does. I mean, I want to say that everybody has access to an Orisha. I. That's not necessarily the case. I mean, like I said, some of these, in some situations, the relationship with the Risha is formed before that person passes. And so that relationship is already existing and sort of the decision that that's going to be the next step in the relationship is already made. Um, so there's no guess at that point. And for some people, I mean, my grandmother obviously didn't have ties to voodoo, but I mean, certainly magical ties. It makes sense that she would, you know, potentially at times show up in my work. But not every relative who passes over is going to want to play in this realm. And I think that a lot of people really want it to be that way. You know, my mother just died or my grandmother or whatever, Oftentimes, the the person that will want to work with you may not be somebody that you even know. It might be somebody who has experience with magical arts, or you know, has a, you know an equal fascination on the other side with this kind of work or play. It, so I think it makes a lot of sense to open that door wide open, wide open when you're entering the early stages of developing these relationships. Um, I mean, for obvious reasons, I had some kind of a fascination with Marie Laveau. But when it comes to John, who I mentioned in the material that I sent out, I still don't know who he is, or I, I have no clue. But I do feel his presence in the work sometimes. I can tell when he's in the room because I can smell him, which smell is something that is often a big indicator that your person is there. But the key to developing these relationships is by making the invitation and like I said in the material, leaning very heavily into your imagination. And I mean, I think to some degree it doesn't matter if you're imagining it because if you imagine it hard enough, it's going to be there anyway. But the more you can lean into what your 
your very rational mind tells you you're imagining, the more concrete those presences become. The more the more real the connections become, the tighter the interweaving between the two sides of you know the veil becomes. So you want to be really, really willing to play with what you imagine because that's what's going to make those relationships work really well. Um, and I think that there is something nice about the concept of having one person that you work with all the time, but I think sometimes spirit likes to move in and out, be there for a while, maybe come back later, maybe do different things, or at some point you may be working on something that you want a specialty for so you might look for some sort of specialized help for that. And I do. I love the concept of, and I don't know for sure this is true, but I do love the concept of people just wandering cemeteries and saying, who wants to play? Like, anybody bored? Anybody hanging around? Who wants to play? And keeping their intentions at a vibration that they know they're not going to attract something icky, which I don't think is that difficult. So I... I really think the key to developing these relationships, like I said, is keeping it very loose, very general, very broad, and 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 allowing yourself to create with your imagination. I think Anne, actually, you've probably got more experience with this than most. What are you, what are your thoughts on inviting Arisha? Uh. It's funny. I was just thinking everything that I've gone through over the last year, I am wide open to the possibilities of this as being an experience. Um, in fact, sorry, there's some noise on the line. Um, in fact, um, I'm, I firmly believe that I am connected to an Arisa from a past life. And, you know, all I need to do is talk to my, my guardian angel in order to get that connection and make it stronger. It's the same thing as I know that I'm connected to a, an animal familiar from a past life. Um, and it's something that I haven't called on yet, but it's something that's there for me when I need it. And I know it's a panther, so all of this stuff makes complete and obvious sense to me at this point, which surprises the heck out of me. I, I'm glad you brought up Animal Familiar because, um, I mean, in some voodoo, hoodoo um, traditions, they they would look at Animal Familiars as Arishas, um, whether they're in physical form or not. So, I mean, they might consider your living Animal Familiar as an Arisha just as much as if you had an Animal Familiar that was on the other side of the bale. Animal familiars would be would be classified in that group whether they're in physical form or not. Um, Interesting. I will have to check and see whether or not that's what um, my guardian angel was referring to. I'd be curious to know. Mm. Um, Jackie, what are your thoughts on Arisha or on getting one? Do you have one? Are you intimidated by it? I'm not intimidated. Um... I'm kind of nervous about um, about what I might get, <laughs> um, but at the same time, I'm I'm going to definitely ask, and we'll see what happens. You know, you said in chat, can you imagine the response if I said I was a voodoo priestess? Um, 
you actually, a, a lot of voodoo priestesses, because of sort of that South African connection, look a lot like you. If you said you were a voodoo priestess to somebody who practices voodoo, they wouldn't blink. Really? Wow. Really? I always, I must admit, I, I, I did have the race thing. I always thought it was predominantly a, a black religion. I, I have no doubt that I, I call it a religion. Um, but I did think it was um, practiced mostly by by Africans of some descent or other. Um, it, it's really interesting that um, my mother moved to Africa and I was born, um, you know, like six months later. Uh, I could have been born in England, but I wasn't, and that always struck me as kind of odd. So it would be really interesting to find out. I'm going to play with it. Okay, Nikki. You know what? I like the concept, but you know, I have to admit, a part of me is just a tad concerned about calling in because, like Jackie, I just don't know what's going to show up. You're not going to know until you ask, right? But you know, I just get a lot of weird shit happening, and so that I guess that's my fear. So I think there is a catchphrase, and that catchphrase is, and you can use this in your meditations or in your invitation letter, with pure heart. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. With pure heart is kind of code word for only of the light, right? Like in traditional metaphysical circles, we would say only of the light. Sort of on this mm-hmm. other side of the circle, we would say with pure heart. Mm-hmm. Um I don't worry about it personally, but I do think that if you, if you do have that hesitation, the, the code words are with pure heart. But mm-hmm. I've come to the conclusion that I know where I'm vibrating. So mm-hmm. alignment-wise, I'm not going to attract or bring in anything that's below that. I'm probably, mm-hmm. so I just don't even worry about it. But this isn't, it's not something I would do if I was pissed off mm-hmm. or if I was really frightened. Um, you know, and yeah, Jeanette said only 100% light. Like there are ways that we can get around that. And I think that spirit world knows exactly what we're talking about. So if, if you decide to go ahead and, you know, pursue this, I would use one of those catchphrases, but I can just assure you that you're not going to draw anything that is of a vibration that is and I don't like the words beneath, but I will use it for this purpose, that it's beneath or below you. Mm-hmm. And sort of the vibrational universe wouldn't, would not allow that. It's not possible for that to happen because this is a very vibrational experience. So there's not going to be any, any mismatch there. Mm-hmm. It can't happen. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, Sarah? Are you tempted to play with the concept of, of connecting with an Arisha? Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I. I yeah. I when I have um, not necessarily Arisha, somebody who was you know walked on the earth and has passed over. Um, but when I have touched in or gotten in contact with um, you know unseen beings. Um, I, I am guilty of not maintaining the relationship. <laughs> like, I, you know, got to know one, like, 20-something years ago and then just completely forgot about it until recently. Um, so, yeah, I I just want to admit that. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and I mean, that leads to, Jeanette said something in chat, and you just said something that I want to touch on. Um, it, it, it is a relationship, and it requires maintaining the relationship just like a friendship. Like I said in the material, I mean, a Buddha practitioner will often refer to their Arisha as their beloved one. They celebrate their birthdays. They celebrate the anniversary of when they came together. They they might, if it was a prearranged scenario, they might celebrate their death day. Um, they offer gifts. They stay in contact. I have a photograph of Marie Laveau in a frame in my office, and I talk to her maybe not every day, but almost every day. You know, not deep conversations, but just, hey, how you doing? And I you know, might bring her a shot of whiskey or refresh her tobacco, which is what I leave her for offer, you know, for thank you gifts or offering. And it's not really an offering. I mean, it's not like it's a godhead that you would give an offering to, but it's just an acknowledgement and a gift. But these these relationships will become richer, more powerful, and more useful as we continue to maintain and develop the relationship. So, I mean, if you're kind of hit and miss with it, you're going to get hit and miss sort of in hit and miss results. But if you're willing to, you know, form that connection and then nurture that connection, it gets stronger and stronger. Um, Jeanette mentioned in chat that she's content knowing that she has a BFF who plays with her research. Um which leads to the next question of can you, should you, might you, you know, practice for others, whether it's voodoo or anything else. I think Janet had a very powerful experience of doing the help spell for her mother. Um, And I said earlier that a lot of voodoo practitioners do it for a living. I think sometimes, um, I mean, I've hired out. To, I've, I've hired people to do work for me. And I do that when I know I'm really bound up with a lot of fear or a lot of attachment. And I think it's perfectly appropriate to, you know, do work on behalf of somebody else if they ask or if you know you're in the clear on free will. Like with Janet's mother's case, obviously her mother wanted to get better. But, you know, I really want my kid to get married soon. Uh, that might not be the best use of my energy. That might be crossing a line. Um, and I think we know the difference. Like we totally, totally get the difference in terms of where we're messing with free will and where we're sort of shifting our will onto somebody else and, and using the force of our magic to do that. Some people would say it doesn't work, that you can't interfere with somebody else's free will, and I think you can, but that doesn't mean that you should. I'm looking. Yeah, I have. I mean, I've done, I've done some work for Jeanette, and I will do work for pretty much anybody who asks me. I mean, I, yeah. So, okay, open for questions. Um, we'll go around one more time. Questions on this subject or anybody or any other subject regarding anything that we've talked about in this in this class. Anne, you have anything? Um, no, I just wanted to make the comment that in sort of tarot circles, that similar question that came up regarding the Orisha comes up there quite a lot, whether or not you should actually do a reading for somebody when they don't know it's being done for. 
And uh, there's, there's a huge range of people expressing all kinds of different opinions on it. And it really boils down to what your energy is comfortable with. And if your energy is not comfortable with playing in somebody else's space, then don't do it. I would agree with that. And I, I think that it's, yeah, there's, there's some similarities there with tarot, with being able to predict the future, with being able, all of that, it, yeah, to level. And I think that that level of comfortability probably does very, very accurately point towards what's right and wrong in that moment because I know my level of comfortability might not always be the same all the time. I don't have a defined line in the sand that says I won't cross this because I, may, I might sometimes and feel okay. But at other times, I might not even get close to that line before I start feeling a little queasy about it. Yeah, I think it all comes down to in whose best interest are you actually doing it for. Right. And if you can't see anything beyond you're doing it for your own best interest, to heck with what the other person is experiencing or what they're going to get out of it, then that may be the point at which you start to question what you're doing. It might be. I might do it anyway as long as I didn't feel like I was causing harm. Mm-hmm. So there we've got like there's another line in the sand and another line in the sand. I think it's it is personal and it is fluid. So you gotta you gotta watch your gut. Right. Jackie, any mm-hmm. anything else as we wrap up? Um, I just have a question for you. I am intrigued. I've known you for what, two years now? I always knew that you were an amazing coach and incredibly psychic and stuff. But the witchiness thing and particularly the voodoo um, aspects of it never crossed my mind. I'm kind of intrigued to find out what made you come clean, to use your words in the in the email today, and and how it affects, or if it affects, your coaching, your marketing, your business. Um, I don't, I'm not out and proud about any of it and it has nothing to do with me. I mean, in my personal circle, people who know me in my real world, it would be hard to walk into my house and not pick it up. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious. So people know, um, I'm not out online because I know it makes my family, as in my family of origin, uncomfortable. And so it doesn't feel to me like it's necessary for me to do that when I know, talk about causing harm, it, it does, it's, it causes them to squirm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think I talked about it in terms of marketing this course. Like, this has been one of my favorite things to teach, and I did not market it at all. Like, I marketed it to my list, and I actually removed some people from my list before I, I don't even know if I did. I did. But I removed some people from my list. I mean, there are just people in my life I don't want our family traditions that they're ashamed of, that I'm proud of. I don't don't necessarily want to make that public. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, our family traditions, my, my mother is Native American, so there's a lot of that in there. And my grandmother took her Native American practices and then leaned more into what I would consider sort of Wiccan practices. Um, So, I mean, it's been in our family all along, which is part of where that shame comes in. But I do think that this element of my life probably feeds my intuition a lot. 
like, would I be as intuitive as I am without it? I kind of doubt it because the intuition itself, I think, requires some energy. And these practices provide that intuition, provide the energy that that intuition is fueled with. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought about it. I mean, and I, I wondered when I, and as far as coming clean on the voodoo thing, I mean, to me, there's no distinction, but I know that it makes people uncomfortable. And I mean, we've worked through various layers of discomfort with this program all along. Mm-hmm. Voodoo is not someplace that I encourage people to jump in. I mean, unless it is your lineage, right, then it's your natural place. But I wouldn't consider anything voodoo-esque to be starter work. Mm-hmm. It's there's a little bit more energy on the table with that. Um, but I, I am aware that the concept makes people uncomfortable. Mm. So it's I not did. so much, it's not shame anymore. It's just kind of a very, it's a respect for other people's discomfort levels. I don't, I don't feel the need to really push those limits. Mm. Because obviously it does, um, they're not coming to you for that work. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was it was just really interesting because um, when I started calling myself a goddess, everybody assumed I was Wiccan, right. and I wasn't at the time. I mean, I I really don't consider myself that at all. Um, but it it was real, and and I had a lot of my Catholic convent friends who found that very awkward. Just just even having a conversation. Um, I'm wondering about um, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it, but but if we were to dive deeply into something that changes our lives as entrepreneurs, it feels like we should make that available, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure. It's going to be interesting to play with because, uh, and I'm very glad that we have the group. Um, on Facebook that we can talk about it because otherwise it's... It's like I asked, where do we share our magical spells? <laughs> and it's been everywhere, um, which I totally get. But I, I, again, I think that it might be more of an ejection seat than a magnet at the moment, especially while I'm learning. I think... I, Jeanette said it in chat. She said, Lisa's feeling the power of repelling people with strong topics. And and there is truth to that. There were people that were very offended by this course, very offended, and they bounced. But the truth of the matter, the truth of the matter is, honestly, and I mean we say this all the time. Like I'm okay with people leaving, but in this case, if somebody bounced over this, they should go, because whether I'm out and proud about it or not, I'm using these tools in the work that I do with my people. And so if they're if if they have a strong moral objection, they should probably hit the road. But in your case, I mean I think you're right. It's it's it might be something that you would need to be real solid with before you decided to go public. And in my case it's been in my life all along and even when I went public, I was still selective because I didn't want to hurt people. It wasn't that I didn't want to offend people. I didn't mm. want to hurt people. Mm. Okay. It's going to be a fun thing. Uh, Nikki, final thoughts or questions? 
You know, I absolutely loved this course. I mean, I was really excited about it. And I do like the private Facebook group for this. It's something that I really do want to, I guess, commit to and learn more things about. You know, and so I also noticed, too, for me, it just it just helps me to practice the power of discernment of who and what and, and how I want to discuss if, if I want to go there with this. So I really like the, the group with that, you know, having this separate group with that. So because for me, like, I, you know, I've always been very sensitive as a child. And I've, I, like, all my life I've had weird shit happen. And so in this sense, it feels like a safe place, right? So I really like this a lot. Uh, Sarah, you? Oh, I just, uh, I wanted to sort of um, piggyback on what Jackie was saying that, and uh, you know, as far as like the marketing or whatever, what's what's really funny is that it was because of this course that I started showing a friend of mine about this group, and she wants to join now. And so it's kind of funny, that idea of like, you know, is the mar- who, do, who does the marketing go to? And maybe it goes to the right people. Um, and then just another thought of um, that that I'll share. A, a close friend of mine, um, uh, she considers herself a witch, and um, the communities that she's part of um, use the word reclaiming, like they are the reclaiming community. Mm-hmm. And um, like right now, she's at witch camp, and she goes to witch camp several times a year. And uh, right now, she's at one that's like a Alice in Wonderland theme in Texas. And um, you know, where where they gather and just you know practice and have classes and play and um, just revel in witchiness. And, um, and the, you know, that just starts to sound so appealing um, after, you know, the last few weeks with this class. Um, it just, it feels like um, the idea of this being so separate from other things, that boundary seems like it's a lot, it's, it's more arbitrary. It doesn't seem like it's separate from other things. I think that it's, it, and you're right, like I had people join because of this. I mean, it just, it it really is an interesting sorting system to this little tool for like attracts like. Um, so I mean, it, it definitely shines a light on where where your people are, and your people don't have to practice the way you do. Um, but as long as your people understand some form of practice, then then that understanding, I mean, it 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 makes you you know those are your people. At least they understand. So it's good mm-hmm. stuff. You know what happens? I, I just have to share how things unfold. Um, I started doing virtual nest automizations, which is just, you know, um, it is what it says. I, I look at somebody's home and we apply LOA nesting without me actually having to be there. And I did a beta testing and I got, I called for eight. And of the eight, four of them were practicing witches. And I thought, mm-hmm. and, and it was so interesting because it was only when I saw pictures of their homes that I realized that. I mean, I knew that they were, I knew one girlie was a goth, for example, and that kind of thing, but I didn't know that they were actual practicing witches. And it was so interesting that I was being asked to apply what they all called house magic to 
the house of somebody who's already a witch and I was talking to Malcolm about it and then within a week or two you offered this course and I thought, ah, oh, that's really interesting. Okay, and then that's one of those things that takes one to know one, right? Like I say, mm-hmm. anybody who walks into my house would know that's not true. Anybody who walks into my house would look around and go, hmm, that's interesting. But, you know, in that is it's somebody who ha- who's got it in them, whether it's in their bones or blood or in their practice, you would recognize that when you saw it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, excellent. Mm. You guys rock. So I'm going to stop the recording. Stick around. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.